This is the Bridges class on the 17th of July in 2022 A.D. Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. You know they're trying to change that. You know sometimes they call it the common era now. You know I just love to see atheists getting a twist when they can't escape every calendar they look at. A.D. It's the year of our Lord. Well, we Jesus freaks just love to make a big deal out of that. Now endureth at the end of 1 Corinthians 13, now endureth faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. We know what faith is, we think. We know what love is. Hope, we're going to kick around a little bit. Faith, I was talking to one of our legal advisors here before the Sunday school class. You know, the definition of faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Me being of totally ignorant mind when it comes to legal things and the, uh, uh, all the fine definitions of w what the law is, I thought, well, gee, that looks like faith is substantial evidence. You know, it's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Anyway, I'd like to kick it around with lawyers and uh, just to brainstorm it, because I want to know what faith is. I think I have it. I know I've had it. I know I need more of it. Faith is one thing. Love is something else. We think we know what love is. Uh, I love my wife. I love my dog. Don't we need another word to, for loving our wife and loving our dog? I, I, I love my job. I love my church. Uh, I love this tie. I love your shoes. <laughs> love needs to be more finely uh, defined. Uh, there was an experiment done. The reason I asked Don Gustin to sit on the front, because as I heard of this experiment, I said, you know, this sounds like something you would have done about 70 years ago in Wisconsin. <laughs> the, the experiment is, people wondered, you, you know, I love my wife, I love my dog. And I know my wife loves me and I know my dog loves me, but how do I know which one loves me more? I don't know if you've ever heard this experiment. This is real. This is scientific. I did not do this. <laughs> I was thinking about you and I said, man, I can see Don Gustin doing something like this. Well, you take your wife and your dog, you put them in the trunk of your car for an hour, and then when you come back, see which one is glad to see you. <laughs> that's, who do you think will be happier to see you after an hour? <laughs> now, that's scientific. I did not do that, but I thought of you for some reason. I said, man, I could see Don Gustin 70 years ago in Wisconsin saying, hey, honey, come here, let me, we're going to do something. <laughs> put your wife and your dog in the trunk of a car. Yes, yes, and it's fluorescent too, so when the, after the trunk closes, yeah, that's, well, well, you can tell that's a dated experiment, it really doesn't work. But what we want to do is consider hope. Hope is uh, sometimes hard to uh, get a handle on, and uh, this lesson is going to be about hope, which is produced by biblical prophecy. Biblical prophecy is a very comforting thing. Uh, it's not just a prognostication, it's not a prediction. When the word of the Lord says this is going to happen, it's as good as if it's already done. Uh, we read all the, th uh, the thrilling uh, prophecies of how meticulously they were fulfilled, having to do with the birth of Jesus. I mean, just the fact of a virgin. I mean, come on, that's, you know, this is amazing. And it happened just the way it was prophesied. Well, these things 
give us hope. But if you were to define hope, I was going to ask if anyone, you know, anyone want to take a crack at it? How would you define hope? I don't want to pick you out of a crowd. Okay, Garland, how would you define hope? You're a, you're a smart guy. Just, just, I mean, you know, we're, we're just brainstorming here. Man, that's good. That's really good. You know, you almost stole my fire because I, I have a definition, but that's very good. See, I told you he's a smart guy. Some people have a real hard time. Chuck, I know you got a good one. What do you got? Well, believe in the prophecies of God. That's right. Believing in the prophecies. Actually, that's where we're going. That's a good springboard because biblical prophecies, biblical prophecies produce, we're just going to put this so I don't have to write so much, produce hope. And... I heard this definition, it's not mine, uh, I wish I could have thought of something as brilliant as this, but he was a, a the professor of biblical exegesis at Dallas Seminary. He said, hope is desire with expectancy. Anyone ever heard that before? Expectancy. Desire with expectancy. This is what biblical prophecy produces. Desire with expectancy. Now, most of the time, and I even had to look up the definition of mutual, mutually exclusive. I thought, well, aren't they? But mutually exclusive is when two things, you know, they can never go together. Like you flip a coin, it's either heads or tails. That's mutually exclusive. But desire and expectancy are not all the time because here they come together. Biblical hope produces desire with expectancy but they can operate individually, and most of the time, they do. For instance, if someone asked me, would you like to make $100,000 this year so you can buy a Mustang like Ron's? <laughs> I would say, yeah, I would love to make 100 grand this year. I have a desire to make 100 grand, but I don't expect it. <laughs> I have a desire with no expectancy. I mean, I, I'm not sure that I have enough skill or talent or time to do what I'd need to do to make a hundred grand. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not like, uh, you know, people that have, you know, maybe there are people that can make money. That I, I can't. So I have a desire with no expectancy. On the other hand, there's a lot of things we expect. We have no desire at all. You're going to pay your taxes by April 15th next year? You have expectancy. I know I'm going to pay my taxes, but I don't want to. I have no desire at all. <laughs> but I'm going to do it anyway. So we can have desire without expectancy and expectancy without desire. But biblical prophecy produces hope, which gives us desire and expectancy. And that excites me, and I think that it should excite you. Uh, we hope in biblical prophecy. We have something that no other faith has. And by the way, if I'm wrong, uh, correct me. And you know what? Even though this is kind of a lecture format, uh, if you have a question, or if I talk too fast, or if you don't know what I just said, stop me. Say, hey, what did you just say? What are you talking about? I didn't hear you. But, but could you say that again? And I'll be glad to do it, because I would rather you stop me so that I could repeat it, or explain it, or tell you I really don't understand it, then you may say, well, why did you just say it? 
Well, then I'll have to come up and think of something else. But we'll, you know, at least you deserve to be able to ask a question and stuff. Maybe we had to, yes, sir, you got a question already, Chuck? I know. I told you I expect to. He didn't say we had to want to do it. I mean, if you're, if you're still doing that thing about paying the taxes without desire, uh, <laughs> yeah, I will. I'm going to render to Caesar, but I'm going to pay a CPA a lot of money so I don't have to give Caesar one more nickel than I have to. So <laughs> I will render unto Caesar. I expect it. I just don't desire it. You know what? I will. I will. Yes, I will. And in fact, I, I, I told Ron Skates, I said, go ahead and check the records. <laughs> hey, if someone's going to have a teaching position or any position in a church, they ought to be faithful to that church. And you know, see, I'm not on paid staff now, so I can get away with saying anything I want. You say, well, he's just saying that because he's trying to get more offering. No, I don't get anything. But you will get more than you could possibly imagine just by being faithful to the Lord. So. To introduce this study and why biblical prophecy is so dependable, I love the way Peter puts it in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. Allow me to read this for you, uh, for you, and I'm reading this out of our New Pew Bibles, which is the English Standard Version, and it's right here. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Boy, that's one glorious piece of Scripture. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. See, here's a real good example of why you should stop and ask, because I want Sandy to know exactly, because there's going to be a pop quiz after this, and you need to, okay. <laughs> Actually, I'm not going to give you a pop quiz, but the Lord might. <laughs> but the good thing about the Lord's pop quizzes is that they're all open book. Read it again? I'll be glad to. This is Second Peter, chapter 1, and you know what? If there's anything worth repeating, it's the Word of God. This is the Word of the Lord. Hear it. Pay attention. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19, 20, and 21. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. I like, sometimes I prefer the King James. That's the version I used growing up. He said, we have a more sure word of prophecy. I like the way that's it. But here, it's essentially saying the same thing, probably in a little bit better English. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Boy, that's, that's, that is glorious. It's the word of the Lord, and we should hear it. We have this and no other world religion. I should probably talk to Sishan later. I'd like to find out if, if the Buddhist religion has any prophetic documents. I, I don't think the Muslims do, 
I, I, I don't think uh, uh, Taoists or, or Shinto or, or any of the other world religions, uh, Hindus, I don't think they have, uh, correct me, you, you know a little bit about that. I don't know that they have any prophetic documents, but the Christian faith, boy, we've got it. We're just, we've got it, and we have a record. We could see how accurately it's been fulfilled. So therefore, biblical prophecy and its impeccable record produces desire with expectancy. We want what's next to happen, and we fully expect it to happen. That's good news. You need to think on this next time you put the news on. Because the news will, the news never talks about the Word of God unless they're making fun of it or dissing it somehow. So uh, it's good that we have a church where we're constantly opening the Word of God and we're always getting something out of it. Now, in a lot of, well, we're going to just consider four. And I'm not going to give you a four-point sermon here, but I'm, I'm just going to say we've, we've got four very obvious reasons why we study Bible prophecy. First of all, because of the prominence of it. I mean, it's 20% of the Bible is prophecy. So if you say, well, I don't want to pay any attention to prophecy, well, you just might as well take a fifth of your Bible and just chunk it. 20%, that is a really sizable chunk of this Word of God that we have. And uh, so there's so much of it. Another reason is because of the practice of godly people. Now, uh, I want to be very sensitive to the time because, man, I, I notice time goes very fast. Uh, in Luke chapter 2, if you want to write this down, these are two good references of the practice of godly people. And these, this is a thrilling passage here. Luke chapter 2, verse 25, is when Simeon, this holy man of God, saw the baby Jesus and he said, Lord, let now thy servant depart in peace. I've seen the Lord's salvation. Man, that's a goose bumper if there ever was one. If you don't get goosebumps when you read that, your goose bumper's busted. There's something wrong. You need a, you need a tweaking of uh, goosebumps are thrilling. They uh, make the hair stand up on the back of our neck. We should get that when we read things like that. Oh, let thy servant depart in peace. And then, that's not the only one in Luke chapter 2, also in verse 36, where Anna, who's another prophet, holy woman of God, here we have the egalitarian working out of God's business. We have a holy man, we have a holy woman. And both mentioned in the same chapter, Luke chapter 2. Now, one other reference I want to read to you out of 1 Peter. And uh, this is in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. And I'm just going to read this quickly. And this is, again, having to do with biblical prophecy. Peter writes, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. That's another glorious Actually, one more verse. It was revealed to them. This is verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels long to look into. He's talking about Bible prophecy. Man, we've got this. And we see the, the presence of God's Spirit there just uh, initiating it, spreading it. It's, it's just a really glorious thing. And we just love uh, the practice of godly people, what they did, why they did it, and it paid off for them. 
Another thing we might consider is how practical it is to study Bible prophecy. Now, by the way, this little study is kind of fitting in to this overall rubric this, uh, under this umbrella of, of redeeming the time. If, if you want to make the most out of whatever time you have left, you will think and meditate on biblical prophecy because it will it'll give you desire with expectancy. And it's something that, you know, we're all looking forward to what's going to happen next. We may not know exactly how God's going to do it, but we know he's going to do it. And it may not be in our time frame. It may not go according to our eschatological charts. Those are end time charts. Some of us have them in the back of our Bible, tells us exactly when everything's going to happen. One of my favorite professors says, those charts need to have more dots and dashes in them. <laughs> because there's some things we may not exactly know. But one thing we do know, Jesus is coming, and that's the main thing. Now, worth the price of your admission today is going to be this quote I'm going to read you now by C.S. Lewis. You'll be glad you came just because of what I'm going to read you right now. This is out of his book, Christian Behavior. And this has to do with the practicality of studying prophecy. Prophecy produces hope. Listen to how C.S. Lewis says it in a way that only he can say it. Quote, Hope is one of the theological virtues, a continual looking forward to the eternal next world. It is not, as moderns think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you find the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this world. Aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. Unquote. Isn't that good? <laughs> Man, I wish I could talk like that. But C.S. <laughs> Lewis, he just says, brilliant mind and the way he just incorporates this in such a beautiful phrasing. I love that. Aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. And you have to notice most people are just aiming at earth. They have no concern at all for heaven. All, all of what they want is here and now. And uh, it's, oh man, it's such a futile thing. And even Jesus said one of, one of his great rhetorical questions, well, what does it matter if you gain the whole world? and lose your soul. So really, how can we not think on those terms? Another thing is, you may have heard people, and this is, this is only a statement that people make when they're offended or convicted because you're excited about the Lord. Let's say if you're having lunch with someone and maybe they go to another church, or maybe they don't go to any church, and you're saying, boy, we were talking about Bible prophecy. And they say, oh, don't be so excited. You, you know, you're so heavenly minded, you won't do any earthly good. Have you ever heard that? You're so heavenly minded, you won't do any earthly good. Don't ever believe that. That's a lie. That's a, a, a wet blanket just trying to quiet you down. There was nobody that was ever more heavenly minded than Jesus. And nobody did more earthly good than Jesus. So it is possible that we can be heavenly minded and do all of the earthly good. And C.S. Lewis states it so eloquently. So hope is desire with expectancy. Another reason we study prophecy, and this is really the last one we're going to consider, is the proximity of fulfillment. It could happen anytime. Now, I know that there are various eschatological viewpoints in pre-trip, post-trip, pre-mill. Pre we're not going to get into all that. All I know is it's going to happen. I don't know exactly when it's going to happen. But I'll tell you what, if I ever did talk to someone who had an eschatology 
or a, a theology of how the things are going to wind up and they say, well, I got it figured out. It doesn't look like it's going to happen for another thousand years. I'd be very leery about believing something like that. Because the last thing we want is someone to tell us, well, the Bible says, take it easy. <laughs> Live it up. <laughs> Jesus is not going to come back for a thousand years. Don't believe that. You know, I love the, uh, well, I've got it in my notes. I'll tell you later. I'm going to tell you when he's going to come back. Maybe you've been wondering, well, when is this going to happen? I'm going to tell you. <laughs> I really am. <laughs> Don't think I'm making this up. Okay, now, we're still talking about hope. Now, I don't know if women still do this, but some of you women here have probably had or know of women that had a hope chest, right? Before you got married, you had uh, a chest. Maybe it was the size of the Ark of the Covenant. I don't know. It could have been six foot square. And, and you had blankets and linens and things that, you know, you were, you know, you know women are the nesters. They, you know, and, and it's good, good that they are because <laughs> no couple wants to live in a house that a man is taken care of. <laughs> Let's just face it. <laughs> Look at our garage. <laughs> right? so, but women, oh, they have doilies and curtains and, and everything matches. <laughs> I can't even put on the right tie without checking with my wife. I mean, I just, uh, we're, we're color deficient. We, we can't match things up. We uh, really have needs in that area. So we have hope chest, uh, just like women have hope chest. We are looking for the parousia. Some people pronounce that differently. Well, how do you say that? Parousia, parousia. Uh, I think it's parousia. It just means the appearing. Uh, we have the trust that Jesus will come back. It's something that it really ought to be on our minds all the time. Every time I watch the news and I see how bad things are getting, the wheels start turning and I say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I don't know how much worse and crazy. I mean, we've seen things just... Look, you don't have to be old to say, well, I remember what it was like 50 years ago. We can remember what it was like 20 years ago. And it was nothing like it is now. And it's getting exponentially worse every day. Don't you see something on the news and you say, I can't believe this. I can't believe what I'm seeing. What they're telling me, I have to believe. And just, you know, th things about birthing people. Just, you know, that's just one. We don't have enough time to get into the stupidity and, and the ridiculous things that these... They're, they're telling us to believe, and you can't say anything against it because it's politically incorrect. Well, it's just, it's, it's the, the days that we're living in. So, we're looking forward to the coming of Jesus. This will happen. You know, when we, as we pray and meditate on the Lord's Prayer, we mention His kingdom two times. That's, that's the first thing. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. And I'm telling you, that's going to happen. Whether you pray it, whether you believe it or not, his kingdom is going to come. His will shall be accomplished. And then when he wraps up the prayer, right at the end of that little short 60-some-odd word prayer, he says, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. It's all about him. It's all about his kingdom. Very little has to do with us and what we want. The best possible result for us is to be doing what he wants us to do. Can I get a witness? <laughs> Can I hear a hearty indeed? <laughs> Indeed, amen. <laughs> yes, even better. <laughs> even better, indubitably. So, let me read you this verse from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. Listen to this, quote, We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, you got a three-point poem right there in one verse. We have 
work produced by faith, point one, labor prompted by love, point two, and the only one we're going to talk about now, endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. These things, these things work together. Because I have hope, because I have desire with expectancy, it helps me endure. I'm going to make it. Yes, sir. The verse was 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. And thank you for asking. And while you're writing that down, write down Titus 2 and 13. See, we're still talking about hope, but here Paul uses the phrase, that blessed hope. Titus 2.13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Hope produces endurance. You ever wonder, and some of you can remember this, and man, it's been over 30 years and I still remember, why do we endure the pain of what it takes in a degree program? Some of you here went to medical school, that had to have been tough. I mean, here, law school, there's a lot of challenges here, how to pass the bar. What, why do people endure the pain, the stress, the anxiety? Because they have hope to one day get their papers, graduate. We endure because we have hope. The hope of graduating makes us endure. It's the same thing. Why, why do you keep working? Well, we hope to retire. <laughs> you know, we're not, I don't want to work until... You know, I, I dropped dead. I'd, I'd like to have some time left over. And, and frankly, since I retired from my official full-time clergy position, things have just been getting better for me. I enjoy this. I was telling someone, I, 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 I'm actually enjoying interacting with you more than I've enjoyed the last five years of preaching in my church. And, 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 you know, and I had a great church, very patient people. But it, it, it was just time. The, the Lord was transitioning me out of one church into this one. And I'm thrilled to be here. So, I love that verse. Hope produces endurance. We work because of that. We finish our degree programs. Here's another verse. I, I don't have too many more verses. Just, just two more. Romans chapter 12, verse 12, gives us this thrilling phrase. And uh, you, you could look up the verse, but it says, rejoicing in hope or joyful in hope. Hope helps us endure. And we know the Bible says, he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Did you ever see kids before Christmas? Two, three days before Christmas? Anticipation. I mean, they're just wound up. It's like they're spring, looking at the Christmas tree. And they just, <laughs> you remember when we used to do that? Christmas was much more fun when we didn't have to pay for it. Remember? <laughs> oh, we loved it. We got everything we wanted and <laughs> opened up. We didn't have to pay. Now, you know, it's, it's a little bit different. And that doesn't take long before we hit that in our life. But kids, they have anticipation because there's joy and hope. So Bible prophecy produces hope and joy and not only assurance, but blessed assurance. Did you ever hear that hymn? Blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story. Makes me want to sing. I won't do that to you, though. <laughs> this is my song. I can't help it. Praising my Savior all the day long. I, uh, you should do that sometime. Don't, don't only save it for church. You, Go into your prayer closet, close the door, and belt, belt it out. It's a, it's a, I understand this is a joyful noise. I'm not going to do that to you. But it's a glorious hymn. Yes, sir. You need to be 
I need to be in the choir. <laughs> I think they'd throw me off the thing. <laughs> Jesus said, I beheld Satan falling. <laughs> You'd see me falling from the balcony <laughs> onto the back view. You know, that's a very fascinating hymn. I just want to take a one minute, if I can. Fanny Crosby. If you've never heard of Fanny Crosby, she's really a, a gifted hymn writer. She wrote like 500 hymns. She was uh, blinded shortly after birth, never saw anything, lived to be 95 years old. There was a, an insurance woman. Her name was Phoebe Knapp. Her husband was uh, the president of, I think, uh, uh, New York Life, big, very high-dollar insurance company. And this is back in the end of the 19th century. And this woman, Phoebe Knapp, she said, you know, I have... I have this tune, I have this melody in my head. She's talking to Fanny Crosby about this. And she hummed the tune. Da-da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da. And Fanny Crosby said on the spot, she said, oh, that says, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. You believe that? On the spot. I don't know if she wrote all three, four uh, verses on the spot, but she said, oh, that says, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. That gives me goosebumps just hearing that. Woo! How someone could be so gifted! And, and you know, she's written so many hymns. They're really, very glorious. A woman who is blind all of her life. That's, but so gifted. So prophecy produces hope, joy, endurance, and assurance. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. And again, I prefer the King James, which says, the full assurance of hope. The, the, these are just phrases that speak beyond our present day situation. That's why we walk by faith and not by sight. If we had to be encouraged just by things we saw, we would all need therapy. But because we believe in things that can't be seen, that gives us hope and assurance to endure and keep on going. And we especially need this now with the, con with the condition our country's in. You know, many people are losing hope. I mean, people are really getting bummed out, but we know how it ends. We can hang on. We have hope. We have desire with expectancy. We know it's going to. And you know what? I don't have to wait for the midterm elections or the 2024. I have desire with expectancy now. And if you're hoping in the next election, you're going to be disappointed. No matter what happens, it's, we look for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's the only one who's going to straighten these things out. So, you could either believe in God or you can uh, have a nervous breakdown. Take, take your pick. Uh, it, <laughs> having faith in the Lord keeps us through things we can't control. And by the way, what can't we control? Anything. What does God control? Everything. I feel better. Don't you? <laughs> You'll have to repeat that three times an hour because it's, <laughs> we have a tendency to leak. We say it, I feel so full, and then <laughs> just like a tire with a slow leak, we, I need to hear it again. So this confidence produces hope that purifies. And this is the last verse I'm going to use as a text. 1 John 3 and 3. You've heard this before. We're still talking about hope, the hope that gives desire with expectancy. John writes in 1 John 3, 3, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. Amazing! Having this hope, this belief that Jesus is going to come, it actually has a sanctifying effect that will help to purify us. Actually, John says, you'll purify yourself. 
It helps us with all of our struggles. I read about a kid who heard this verse in church and he went home and he said, hey, Dad, where's that soap at? He said, what are you talking about? He said, I heard the preacher saying, he who has this soap purifies himself. Uh. See, he just heard it a little wrong. He who has this hope, not he who has this soap. But you know what? The Bible, the Bible does say the washing of the water of the word. It, it really has a cleansing, sanctifying effect if you believe it as you read it. And if you don't believe it as you read it, well, then I would pray that the Lord would give you such conviction you will have nervous fits and fall out of bed and bang your head in the middle of the night. It would be one of the best things that could happen to you if that wakes you up to the fact that God is in control and it's his program is the only one that's going to happen. So, the washing of the water of the word. Jonathan Edwards uh, is known for a lot of very brilliant observations. He's probably the greatest philosopher and theologian ever produced on this side of the Atlantic Ocean. You know, most of our philosophers and theologians are, you know, from over there. Jonathan Edwards, born and raised here, and he made some really brilliant observations. I really like his 70 resolutions. Uh, they're just terse little one-liners that just really help us to look with eyes of faith into what's going to happen next. And one of the things he says, and this has to do with the hope that uh, he who has his hope purifies himself. Jonathan Edwards said that uh, resolved, he says it like it's resolved, never to be doing anything that we wouldn't want to be caught dead doing if we knew this was the last hour of our life. Now you think about that. Doesn't that have a sanctifying effect? If I realized Let's say I'm going through the boob tube and I'm watching something and some movie comes on and you've seen it before and you know that there's stuff in there that stirs up something in you. You don't need to be stirred up, but you watch it anyway. You want Jesus to come back while you're watching that, that stuff and while you're stirring up all those animal emotions that he ought to be killing? We ought to kill it. It isn't going to go away. You can't just pet it, you know, like a, like a rabid dog. You've got to kill it. You've got to kill those things. You don't believe it? In Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Mortify these members. So Jonathan Edwards said we should never be caught doing anything. We wouldn't have to be caught if it were our last hour on earth. And people say this often. Oh, I, I wouldn't be caught dead doing that. Well, if you don't want to be caught dead doing something, you better not be caught alive doing something. Because you can drop dead at any time. And I don't mean to, you know, put this out as, oh, you're so negative. Come on, folks. All it takes is a blood clot smaller than an English pea to get up into your brain and you're out of here. You're gone. Any of us can die at any time of anything. Car accidents, fall down the stairs. Uh, there's, well, you know, there's a thousand ways to die or more. So, if you don't want to be caught dead, you shouldn't be caught alive. It really is getting later than we think. Not only on this time, but in our time of eschatology. These three cowboys were sitting in front of a hotel out in West Texas. Two of them were sitting on a bench, the other one's sitting on a rocking chair, and he's just a whittling away. The other two were just looking out at the West Texas expanse. Garland, you're gonna like this, because you got so many clocks in your house. All of a sudden, the grandfather clock in the lobby of the hotel started chiming. Boom, boom, boom. Thirteen times it went off. That one guy's whittling, stood up and he put his pocket knife away and he yawned and he said, boys, I'm going to go to the house. It's later than it's ever been. <laughs> now, I want to tell you, it is later than it's ever been right now.
We're closer to the coming of the Lord than when we were driving to church this morning. Ah, yeah, well, that's just an hour. Well, if I calculate that, one day with the Lord is like a thousand years, a thousand years like a day. Well, does that mean this one hour is going to be a thousand hours? I, I don't know. I don't know. I just know that we need to be ready because really, it is later than it's ever been. And even though it is, and there's frightening things that are happening, biblical prophecy produces hope, which is desire with expectancy. And if you like notes, let me see if I can get this thing out here. This ain't going to work, is it? Here. I just wrote these points back here. This is what we already said. This is nothing great or profound. Biblical hope brings desire and expectancy because it's so prominent. Scripture is 20%. Because it's the practice of godly people. Luke 2, 25, 36, and 1 Peter Chapter 1, because it's so practical, the practicality of it. And C.S. Lewis convinced us of that. And because of the proximity, it can happen at any time. We should feel better every time we come to church. Every time we come to church, we ought to leave pumped up with more of the presence of God's Spirit in us because of what we're hearing. Because, I mean, really, it's the Spirit of the Lord who puts all this to action in our hearts and lives. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, for those of us who need hope, maybe we're going through something right now, Lord, that has taken our minds and our hearts off of your prophetic accuracy and the things that are going to happen. Father, I pray that you'd help us to refocus on those eternal things, the things of the next world, which are much more important. And Lord, help us to make the most of whatever time we have left, that we will give you the praise and the glory and honor you, Lord, and people will know they will see the hope and assurance that we live by because we do this because of our hope and trust in you and in the accuracy of your prophetic word and the perfect record that it has of being fulfilled exactly as you told us it would be. Help us, Father, to have this stored away in our hearts and share it with someone who needs to hear it. Or if we need to hear it, Lord, let us hear it again. And we ask you these things, Lord, all for your glory, the coming of your kingdom, and to prepare us, Lord, for that place you went to prepare for us. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Hallelujah and amen. Amen. Any questions? Well, if you didn't raise your hand in the middle, you probably didn't have any questions, but you might have one now. And if you, have, if you don't have one now... I did tell you, and I didn't. Thank you, Chuck, for reminding me of that. Here it is. You may want to write this down. You say, oh, man, you're, you're making this up? No. Every time we hear prophetic preachers, and I, and I told you, the guy I don't want to listen to is the one who says, oh, it, this has to happen, that has to happen, Israel got to do this, this has to do that. No. Uh, you know, when things are going real bad, like they are now, I think there's more people that are looking for the coming of the Lord because things are so bad and they're going so crazy. And I'm not so sure it's going to happen now because Jesus tells us when it's going to happen. In an hour when you think not. In an hour when you think not. When you're not thinking about it. I think it would be more likely that, 
let's say things politically turn around in our country and all of a sudden everybody's happy and the economy's better and gas is cheaper and oh, we're just happy about everything. People stop coming to church, they start taking more vacations, they stop thinking about how horrible things are in this culture and society which is so crazy and they're not thinking about Jesus coming back. Maybe, maybe that's when it's going to happen. Now is it, I mean, you know, chances are out of this room, if all of us were not thinking about Jesus coming back, maybe Don is thinking about it. Well, does that mean everybody in an hour when everybody's thinking? No, it's probably a broad generalization that the, the broad application to the culture and the zeitgeist, you know, just the way people are thinking, the spirit of the age is that people are not expecting him to come. That's when he's going to come back. So get ready. The next time you're not thinking about it, boom, this could be the time. Wake me up. Stab me awake. This could be the day. Thank you, Chuck, for reminding me of that because I did want to tell you, and that was, that's kind of a big thing. I mean, we do need to know when he's going to come. So the next time people say, oh, we don't know when Jesus is going to come, you can tell them in an hour when you think not. And that's exactly what Jesus said. And it is later than it's ever been. Garland, maybe you could rig up one of your grandfather clocks. You have that little gathering group. Let it ring 13 times and get up and say that. Yay, later than it's ever been. We're going to go to the house. Couldn't you see somebody in Midland doing that? They, they talk like that. They act like that in Midland, right? It's later than it's ever been. Are there any other questions? Okay. Now, our schedule, as I understand it, uh, Am I going to go till the end of July? Because that's, that's two more after today. So that's the, the 24th and the 31st. And then when August starts, are we going to do that question and answer thing? The first Sunday of August, um, our church supports uh, seven uh, students from Mexico who are studying for the ministry either in Mexico or the U.S. Three of them are going to be here the weekend of the 7th. Uh -huh. And they would like one of the students, I think Alex Alejandro, oh. come to this class and me interview him. Okay. Um, Not our Alex, who's on staff here. Okay, another Alex. Another okay. Alex from Mexico. Okay. All right. Studying in the seminary up in Michigan. And, uh, and to talk about First Pres, we are reconnecting in a big way with the National Presbyterian Church of Mexico. Right. To plant churches in Mexico and the U.S. Good. And this is a part of it. We're helping fund some of those seminary students. Then the next Sunday, we can do the 14th and the 21st. Uh -huh. I thought we could have that. Okay. Ask the pastor thing where we'd ask you to fill out index cards anonymously with questions you've always wanted to ask the pastor. And Paul and I will just. Try to answer them. And uh, <laughs> the 28th of August, I'm going to begin a series on the Apostles' Creed. Right. 12-week series. And, and in depth, every phrase the Apostles' Creed. And, and, and that's, that's something we should be looking forward to. I mean, you know, we just said it in the traditional service this morning. We, we say it all the time. But I don't know that we really know what we're saying. And it's, it's like the Lord's Prayer. You could be saying it, but you're not necessarily praying it. We could say the Apostles' Creed. Christian, what do you believe? I'm just reading what it says up there. I believe in God the Father. You know, and I, I'm just reading it. But this will help us to internalize it more. And that's always a good thing. 
Yes, Sandy. Me. Well, I don't know about normal. <laughs> Yes, yes. So write down your questions, and uh, the twenty eighth we'll start. Well, uh, we talked about maybe yeah. we might need two weeks to do all your questions. Right. Okay. So I think we'll yes. delay the process. Yes, and and all of these cards are going to be handed in anonymously. So it would be good if we can get them the week before, so this way we could take them to the FBI lab, so they can analyze your handwriting, so we'll know who's asking these questions. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's off the table. You can ask any. We may yes. not answer. Yes. <laughs> but you yes. can ask anything you want. Yes. There are a lot of questions that all of us have uh, that uh, there are not easy answers or maybe a conclusive answer for. But we could, uh, if, uh, I, I think, Ron, you'll share this with me. If, if, if we cannot answer the question, at least we will eloquently evade it. <laughs> Try to slip away on a side. And, uh, well, let me... <laughs> That brings up another question. <laughs> so, we'll you know, circle back on that. Yes, we, yes, yes, we'll circle back. Yes. Or we can act like the politicians. Well, I'm not taking questions today. So, <laughs> well, you asked me for questions. Yeah, well, <laughs> until you give me one I can't answer, I'm not answering questions anymore. So, I think we're in good shape.